the number you have reached, 911, has been changed to a non-published number. You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. Welcome to another segment of the UCW Radio Show. This is your host, Lou, a.k.a. Falcon Coparis. And I want to thank all of our listeners for the continued support just by listening to the show. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. We're adding additional content, new content. We have a lot of stuff going on. Some great guests coming on the show. Syndication is increasing. Uh, so a lot of great things happening in the world of UCW. Uh, in just a little while, we're going to have a special guest on the show. Uh, look, he's none other than Krista Rose of Last Chance for Animals. I'm honored to have him on the show. He's, a, he's actually a great guy. And he, you know, he was an actor. At one point, and he starred in such TV shows as General Hospital, Cagney and Lacey, Chips, The Rockford Files, Beretta, and a whole bunch of others. But uh, his most important role in his life is the one that he took on as an animal activist. So uh, I, I look forward to speaking with him, but we're going to get to him in a little while. Uh, so we, before we bring him on, I, I just want to go over a couple of things. Uh, as I've been speaking about, maybe a little bit too much, but that's okay. Uh, we are... We are now the official host for the Ultimate Body Radio Show. Yay! Okay, that is attached to the Ultimate Body Reality Show. And that's being brought to us by uh, the great executive producer, David Lyons. He's the one that's, that did Hog Heaven, the animated feature Creepers. And he's a smart guy, and he's an inspirational guy as well. Um, he brought in, and he was smart with this Ultimate Body uh, Reality Show. He brought in a uh, producer that is familiar or actually has a lot of reality shows that they've been attached to and he brought in Lauren Alvarez and if you don't know her you're gonna know the stuff that she's worked on which include the Osbournes, just a real life, uh, meet my folks and so on and so forth now in case you don't know what the ultimate body reality show is about let me just go through it real quick it's a bodybuilding reality show first of its kind uh, you have 13 men 13 women competing for the crown of being called the ultimate body and again you know you have like reality shows like the biggest loser or you know weight loss this and weight loss that uh, at the end of the day you know this show uh, I, I, I think it's gonna surpass that only because of what is bringing to the table because it's not too often you see people that may are regular folk that maybe wanted to be bodybuilders and they may you know be 10, 20, 30 pounds overweight, whatever it may be. You, you, they're not 500 pounds overweight. And they have the opportunity to get into the best shape of their lives. Of their lives. Period. The end. They live in a mansion. Okay? They, they're not living in a training facility. They're living in a mansion. They are being trained by some of the best trainers in the United States. They are they're going to get the supplements from Gaspari nu, uh, Nutrition's. Um, actually, yeah, Gaspari Nutrition, um, and that, I mean, all this stuff is supplied to them free of charge. They're there in the mansion for about 12 to 13 weeks, so it's an interesting concept, and I think that this is something that's going to have longevity. Uh, with this, you're competing 50 grand in a spread in Muscle Magazine, so uh, yeah, there are a lot of good things in there. On top of you being in the best shape of your life and being a reality show star, not a bad deal. Now here goes the bad news. There's an open casting call, last one, period, the end for this season, and that's being held Saturday, October 17th. 
from 11 in the morning till 6 at night. And that's at the Ramada Orlando Celebration Resort and Convention Center. And that's at uh, located at 635 West Earlo Bronson Highway. That's in Kissimmee, Florida. Now, I am going to suggest for those that are looking to go, go to www.theultimatebodytvshow.com and go there and download the application, submit it beforehand so that you're uh, not waiting in a horrendous line trying to submit the stuff because I have a feeling you're going to have a lot of people over there. And only you know 26 people are going to be picked out of the thousands that are going to be applying. So uh, you know, just uh, I would get myself down there, uh, get myself to get my things to them before I get myself down there. Okay, I just confused myself, but that's okay. But get, get to download the application, fill it out, and get it to uh, the producers, and uh, get it in beforehand. But it's a good opportunity, as I said, to not only get get into the best shape of your life, but also to get to be involved in a great reality show and this reality show I believe it, you know this is me being unbiased is gonna have longevity so you're gonna have season after season after season you know with uh, uh, a great guy like David Lyons and he's such an inspirational guy behind this yeah it, it's this is gonna have longevity now the next thing that I want to talk to you about is celebrity boxing uh, there is a, a celebrity boxing event that's happening in Florida in February, and it's pretty interesting too. Uh, it's for the benefit of our troops, supporting our troops. This is the Now More Than Ever Fund. That's what it's supporting, and that's uh, Stephen Baldwin's fund. So the event's happening Wednesday, February 3rd, 2010, at the over 18,000-seat Bank Atlanta Center in Sunrise, Florida. You have Chris Gambino. He's going to be going against Stephen Baldwin, so that should be interesting. Uh, they, they are going to be announcing match upon match upon, upon match as the weeks go by, so you have to stay tuned to it. Go to MyCelebrityBoxing.com, check it out, and, uh, and keep updated. And I think you only have one more day to get the pre-media uh, TV, um, the pre-media tickets, the VIP tickets. And you go to the site, you get them because I think they're they're going for about two hundred and fifty dollars each. But that includes an after party and a whole bunch of stuff. But once once the this goes out through Ticketmaster, uh, all that stuff's off the table, and you may just be paying a lot more than that. And I think it's gonna you know if you want to get involved and and support our troops and go see a great event, this is the time to do it. That's mycelebrityboxing.com. Uh, also. I need to let um, I need to say this as well because if I don't say it, I may get uh, yelled at. Uh, we did open the doors. The UCW radio show did open the doors for sponsorship uh, partnerships, sponsorship opportunities. So if you want to align yourself with the UCW radio show, uh, you're more than welcome to do so. Give us a call at 323-952-4369. Uh, and find out how you can do that, or you can go to ucwmagazine.com to find out more. Again, the number is 323-952-4369. And if you're on Twitter, you can shoot me out some questions, your comments uh, for our guests, or even for myself, and just do that. My Twitter name is Luis Velasquez, that's L-O-U-I-S-V-E-L-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. -E -E so follow me and uh, tweet away. Uh, also, I need to say this before we uh, bring Krista Rose on the on the line on the show. Actually, 
Uh, remember to keep in tune with the top mixed martial arts organization uh, in the New England area. That's Cage Fighting Extreme or CFX, uh, which is the uh, the core letters. It's run by, I call her the matriarch of mixed martial arts, Linda Shields. She's a woman uh, taking uh, taking a stand in the world of mixed martial arts, which is dominated by men. So I commend her for that. You know, uh, I wish that the media in the New England New England area would pick up the story, which to me is amazing that they're not. Uh, but hey, you know what? The story is getting picked up here, and that's what we're doing. Uh, this is one of those mixed martial arts organizations that. Hold their fighters, sponsors, vendors, and fans in the highest regards. So, in short, it's a sign of a great promoter, and I think that's fantastic. And she's doing um, some great things over there. Now, without further ado, Les Patchen, uh, Last Chance for Animals founder, and uh, a really great guy. I, I really, I'm, I'm telling you before I bring him on the line, I'm saying that I'm really uh, honored to have him on the show so that we can. Uh, tell the story of Last Chance for Animals and tell his story and I think uh, again I don't know where the interview is going to go but just follow it uh, I promise you this much that it's not going to be uh, boring at <laughs> not boring at all okay without further ado here is Chris DeRose Chris uh, it's great to have you on the UCW radio show I really want to thank you for taking time out uh, to be on the show today Thank you, Lou, and I appreciate you caring enough to put me on here. Uh, well, no no doubt about it. What you're doing is amazing. And, and I always say this at the beginning of the show, uh, when, when we have a guest on, I say this to all of our guests, we do appreciate the time that uh, is put aside for us. But in your case, with what you're doing, you know, I doubly, even if that, that's even a word, doubly appreciate the time. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but look, I know you have a lot of exciting things to talk about today, and, and you know, I just want to give our listeners broad strokes on, on who you are, in case they don't know, you know, you used to be, uh, you know, do a lot of stuff in Hollywood, uh, you've done stuff from, I mean, acting from, from General Hospital, Cagney and Lacey, on down, Rockford File, Beretta, you did all that stuff, but probably your, your greatest accomplishment is when you uh, founded Last Chance for Animals. Yeah, that's um, that was twenty five, a little over twenty five years ago. I've been doing this thirty one years now. Wow. Uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's not like I wanted to start an organization. It was really the last thing in the world I wanted to do. However, one thing led to another, and uh, we uh, we don't have the biggest organization in the country. It's probably around the sixth largest, but it's definitely the best. I mean, we. We get things done. We make things happen. It's not a fluffy organization. Mm -hmm. We go after somebody. We get them. We put the first people in this country in state prison, federal prison. Got the first government licensed dealers to have their licenses permanently revoked. Uh, pretty much when the uh, the bad guys hear our name, or, or, uh, they pretty much know it's over. Well, because if we're coming after them, we're going to get them. It's not a matter of if. It's only a matter of when. Yeah, but that, that's what it comes to. I mean, you have a lot of people that do some horrible things to animals. But I think what we need, what I like to do, if it's okay with you, is, you know, let, just explain to our listeners what Last Chance for Animals is in case they, they don't know. I know what it is, but so I try to go and make things simple so that the people can follow the, uh, I guess, just the, uh, the show a little better. Okay, Last Chance for Animals is a uh, primarily an investigative uh, uh, organization. We do the investigations into really big cases 
Uh, we worked on the Michael Vick case as uh, technical advisors for the federal agents because those same federal agents were working with my undercover ops in uh, big cockfighting uh, operations of one which a uh, sheriff in uh, Maryland was involved with. And uh, as a matter of fact, he'll be getting sentenced pretty soon. Uh, he was uh, he was the ringleader of it, and we. Uh, that, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there goes your tax dollars. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the authorities involved. <laughs> so we we have busted uh, four of the largest cockfighting rings in the country, and while we were doing that, working along with the federal agents, they had asked us if we knew anything about dogfighting, and of course we do. Mm-hmm. And then we started giving them advice on what to look for, and that had to do with the Michael Vick case. Mm-hmm. So uh, we did work on that. Uh, and we're the only ones that worked on it at an investigatory level as far as an animal organization goes. We, um, we've been around, like I say, for 25 years. I've been doing this for 31 years now. And the thing that got me involved was a dog. Uh, I had somebody had asked me to go into a laboratory and help them photograph, document what was going on in the lab. And I had a, a Malamute die in my arms in a, in a lab. And that pretty much launched me into the anti-vivisection battle and uh which is against animal experimentation and um and i had been doing that now for 31 years um prior to that i got involved with animal welfare a little bit which was uh you know uh, spay and neuter uh because i i I saw what had gone on inside a uh inside the pounds and how they kill the animals and what we call euthanized, but uh, that's just a euphemism for killing. And uh, I watched how they do that and, uh, with the decompression chambers, and I was horrified oh. by it. Now, you got to remember, I, I was originally from Brooklyn. Yeah. I, I grew up uh, a lot, most of my time in Jersey, and I was a cop in Jersey. I've seen a lot of stuff. Right. But what I've seen, I've never had a dog or a cat, so it's not like a dog-cat issue for me. It's an mm-hmm. issue of uh, respect for life. And what I've seen happening to animals is, blew my mind. I had no idea that man, human beings can come up with such things. And um, even though I was making a very comfortable living as an actor Mm -hmm. and I was working all the time, I started putting more and more time into the animal stuff. Mm -hmm. And before you knew it, it grew to the point where I was putting all my time into it and I had no time for the acting. And I kind of just worked my way out of the acting. Uh, This is my passion. This is, uh, this. uh, you know, I don't make but Chris, I, I just want to interrupt for a second because I want our listeners to understand is that you're not just saying, well, I created the uh, the uh, Last Chance for Animals and, uh, you, and you're just saying words, these aren't words. You actually put yourself so much into this that you got... You got arrested 11 times for this. Oh, yeah. I've been arrested 11 yeah. times. I served four times in the L.A. County Jail, which is the toughest jail in the United States. And then one of the times I was in uh, solitary confinement for 90 days. The other time I was in a hole for 45 days. Anybody knows the hole in solitary, they know it's pretty bad places. Uh, I got to meet Richie Ramirez, the night stalker, when I was in the hole. Talked to him every day. Uh, I got to meet Eric Menendez in solitary confinement. You know, they're not in the same cell with you, but they'll come by and they'll talk to you through the door. Uh, Yeah, it was tough. And being claustrophobic, um, uh, it was really, it was rough for me because I, but I kind of keep thinking about what the animals must go through. You know, even a rat or a mouse being stuck in a tube and can't move. You know, uh, cats, dogs, uh, primates and stereotaxic devices. These are the devices that hold you so that you cannot move. While they could uh, probe you and stick electrodes or oh. chemicals into your body, and uh, or cut into your body, and you can't move, and this is without any analgesics of any kind, any painkillers. 
So I kept thinking about these animals, what they go through, and um, the animals that I've seen in laboratories. And I was, that was what was able to get me through it, or else I don't know if I ever would have been able to get through it. Wow, uh, yeah, I mean, most people, just, just getting arrested one time would have been it for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I've been shot a couple times doing this, too. I've been shot in the stomach and in the back. Oh. And, uh, uh, again, I, I, I just look at it all uh, in... Uh, relations to what animals go through and again they don't have anybody that can speak up for them and uh, i could speak up for myself i could speak up for others animals really can't say anything except uh suffer in silence yeah but that's what happens i mean you you're you're actually putting your life on the line when you do this yeah you know you know it's it's like a a quote from martin luther king he said if you haven't found something worth dying for you're not fit to live and I, and I do feel like uh, a person has to, like a mother would die for their child mm-hmm. if their child was in a house that was on fire or something. Right. You know, I think most people can find something that they would die for. So it's not that out, you know, it's not that far out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, my conscience tells me that this is what I need to do, mm-hmm. that this is the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, and people say, well, why, why not? Why not? people, children. Well, I've been a big brother to 26 kids. As a matter of fact, I was with one this past Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, my little brother Jason. Mm-hmm. You know, his father was a good friend of mine. And I've had 26 little brothers. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with kids and, and, and different issues. So it's not it's not a matter of I'm picking animals over people. Mm-hmm. It's just they need it as well. I mean, right. they suffer just as much as anybody else. Sure. If you don't, if a dog or a cat or any animal doesn't eat, it gets hungry just like you or I. If you right. probe it with something sharp, it feels the pain like you or I. Yeah. It, it, as far as the basic needs and things of an animal, they are no different than we are. Yeah. No different at all. Yeah, I'll tell you this much, Chris. You know, um, I told you before we did start the show that the thing that got me with uh, you and your organization, and more so was you. It wasn't so much the organization, it was how well, your passion towards this when you were on the Dog Whisperer and you were you were infiltrating the, the, the puppy mills and, and going through that. I never, I never knew that existed. Yeah, puppy mills are a big problem in this country and hundreds of thousands of animals are being bred. And uh, there's no reason for it when we're killing about 8 million a year in, in the shelters. Uh, and uh, as you saw, Cesar Milan was very shocked to see what was going on inside of Puppy Mill. He's never been in one. We got yeah. him inside of two of them. And um, it's it's pretty shocking uh, to see the conditions, to see what the animals go through. Mm-hmm. And even if a few of them, and there's not many of them, ever look clean and sanitary, that's nothing. That doesn't mean anything to the animals that are in there that's, that are turning around in a circle that are uh, stressed out, that need attention, need some some kind of emotional release. Mm-hmm. Uh, these animals suffer, you know, horribly. And people that go into a pet store and buy their animal from a pet store, and let me tell you, 99.99% of these pet stores that sell dogs, they're mm-hmm. coming from puppy mills. Don't let them tell you that they're buying them from uh, uh, some you know special breeder that mm-hmm. raises only a couple litters a year and they raise them in their, home, their mm-hmm. homes. Those hobby breeders do not sell to pet, pet, pet stores. They just do not sell to pet they, stores. They, they sell on their own. They sell on their own. Right. And so these people that's buying, you're buying a pet store, you're contributing to the death of three other animals and the uh, raising and the transportation and the sickness of these animals. Because for every one puppy mill dog that gets into a home, three will die. Mm-hmm. It's a numbers game. 
with the uh, puppy bills. And they don't care. It's all about money. That's all it is. That's all it is, Lou. That, that, that's, that's so crappy, you know. And, I, and when I saw the show and, and when you were going through it, I said, wow. I said, you know, they're born. Uh, they had a female dog on there. She was born in a cage. She lived in a cage. By the time she was three years old, she had uh, six litters. And I said, how is that? I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. And not only that, Lou. Never stepped on the ground, never stepped on soil, never right. stepped on grass. And that's the one thing that was shown. You could see when they were walking, right. they could just barely, they're not sure what they're standing on because they've always been on wire cages, right. you know, wire mesh on the bottom. They've never, and that's because it's just easier to uh, maintain these cages. Um, they don't want to put any effort into it. So when these animals come out, they're traumatized. They're very, very traumatized. Right. And uh, if you could only imagine being locked in a closet, your entire life, uh, and and on a grade, and then coming out and t touching solid ground or or something soft like grass, mm. you know these animals they just don't know what to make of it. But it's a beautiful thing to watch them evolve and start to experiment and start to feel this and, and enjoy it, you know, and then run around in the grass. It's a, it's really an amazing feeling to watch that. No, I mean, I when I saw the thing, I was like, oh my god! I can just imagine you being there. You know, me being a dog lover, and I, and I lost uh, last year. I lost uh, three of my dogs. Oh wow! Know? Yeah, but they were older. You know, they were like twelve and thirteen. They were, they, yeah. they were pit bulls, but the friendly type. Yep. You know, but I love my dogs, and uh, I said, you know what? I can't handle this like too much. Now, for you to deal with this day in and day out, you see this stuff. It has to be taxing on you, though. It is. It is very taxing. I mean, tell you, you know, and sometimes you get, and just oddly enough, last night was one of those nights when I just couldn't sleep because of it, and uh, certain things that videos I watched yesterday that came into me, and it, it does play havoc on your mind. But you know, you, you just know what you have to do right. is the right thing. I learned a long time ago, Lou. I separate my emotions from my intellect. Right. This is my job. I do it. I do it really well. I don't look at, uh, uh, I try never to look at their faces, you know, look in their eyes, especially an animal in a laboratory or one of these bee dealer camps where mm -hmm. these people steal, they're licensed by the government to steal mm -hmm. your dog, your cat, and sell them for experiments. Uh, mm -hmm. I, when I'm there doing my job, I, I look at them. I have to look at them mm -hmm. like they're just uh, like a pencil or, or like a stapler or something. I have to look at them like objects because if I get mostly wrapped up in it, then it's about me. It's no longer about the animal. Right, and then, then I then I do something that's going to make me feel good, right. not not for the overall good of the animals. So when I go in, I zero in on what my objective is, what my mission is, and I stay on it, and I don't get emotionally wrapped up in it. But then I, you know, when you go home at night and you put your head on the pillow, that's when everything plays havoc, you know, you just got to learn to deal with it. Yeah, but you're human, so all that stuff, yeah, it has to get to you, you know, and, but it, you, if you find a way to, to deal with it, you know, I mean, the way you're, you're dealing with it, I, I don't know if I can do that, if I would be able to do that, because, you know, I, I'm I'm sensitive when it comes to animals as, as it is, so I, I would wind up going to jail probably for life because I would hurt somebody. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, because you see, well, I mean, I mean how, how, do they, how do they get away with that stuff, though? How do, they, how do the people that hurt these animals get away with it? Well, yeah, like the, with the puppy mills and puppy stuff, mills. you know, with, with that stuff, you know. Uh, I mean, how do they get away with doing that? You know, I mean, even with the with the experimental stuff, I mean, how do they do it? I mean, doesn't... Well, you know, it's interesting. When they, they find ways to legitimize it or legalize things, mm -hmm. you know, and especially like laboratory animals in the biomedical research community, when you, when you start making headway into exposing them, they find a way to 
leave, you know, make what you're doing illegal. I'll give you an example. About two and a half years ago, a law was passed called the Animal Enterprise Terrorist Act, ADA bill, AETA. Now, that bill makes it a not only a federal felony, but makes it a terrorist act. If you impede, impede upon the economic flow of any animal enterprise, it could be construed as a terrorist act. Example, a furrier. You're outside uh, uh, demonstrating in front of a fur store. Mm -hmm. And if that person claims that you're impeding upon his economic flow, that is construed as a terrorist act. Oh if you God. bust into a, 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 a fur farm and let the minks go, that is construed as a terrorist act. So no matter what we do that makes a difference against the uh, animal industries mm -hmm. of whatever they are, uh, they that, that is now considered a, uh, a, a terrorist act. So, now, when I ask you or your, your listeners, yeah. what, is, what is a terrorist? We think of people that are flying airplanes into buildings and killing people. Sure. We don't think of somebody standing out there protesting or someone opening up a cage and letting animals out mm -hmm. as a terrorist act. Right. But they've managed to get it in there. What does that do? It causes what is called a chilling effect. Right. And that makes activists more nervous or concerned about going ahead and doing something like this. You know what it makes me do? It makes me want to challenge it. Yeah. It makes me just want to challenge it because uh, it's not, it's the most unconstitutional thing that's ever come down well, the pike. Course. You have your First Amendment rights. You know, if you're protesting about something, you have freedom of speech, don't you? That's what well, you would think. You would but you see that. how this here is specifically geared toward just animal activists. Mm -hmm. It's not, and not geared toward anybody, any other group of people just strictly animal people, animal rights people. And the reason for that is because the biomedical research community and the pharmaceutical industry, which are your two strongest lobbyists in Washington, and they're owned and controlled by the multinational pharmace uh, uh, petrochemical corporations. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are pulling the strings in Washington. And of course they did it, you know, uh, under the last administration where they were able to get this through. And the sad part about it, Lou, is it went through the Senate unopposed not one senator saw it was wrong. And when it went through Congress, it was supposed to come in at 2.30 in the afternoon after a, a long vacation uh, for, for the congressman. But they, uh, no, it was supposed to be 6 o'clock in the evening. But they pushed it till 2.30 in the afternoon. Only five congressmen voted on it. Four of them voted in favor of this bill. Only one stood in, in all of Congress, Senate and, and the House. Only one stood against it, and that was uh, Dennis Kucinich. So I had asked Dennis on a radio interview why he opposed it. Why didn't anybody else oppose it? Because I read the bill. It's unconstitutional. Yeah, that's that's the thing with Congress. Sometimes stuff goes in, even when they, you know, with, with everything with this financial crisis, when things started going in, they, people just started voting on it. Yes, yes, no, no. Then nobody was reading what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely right. Okay, and and how are you going to do that, especially with something like this? You're going to tell me that if someone's you know, doing something to animals and, and I'm out there protesting, that they're going to consider me a terrorist? That's right. That you is could, ridiculous. You could be construed as a terrorist. That, that is ridiculous. And what's this country coming to? You know, I love the, the United States. I love my country, you know. But, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're trying to do something that, that's a good thing, you're going to get penalized for it, and then they're going to go make it the worst crime, worse than, than killing 2,000 people in a building? That's right. That's right. That, they put you in that same category. As a wow. matter of fact, animal rights uh, uh, is considered the number one domestic terrorist uh, 
uh, entity in the United States. Animal rights is the number one. It's not people that are making these bombs in their homes or anything like that, you know, or, or these uh, uh, so-called terrorists. No, we're, we're the number one domestic terrorist in this country. Wow. I mean, that, that is pathetic. That is frightening to think that we've gone to those ends. To think that the money industry of people that exploit animals have gone this far. Yeah, but meanwhile, a guy like Bernie Madoff gets away, you know, he gets away for years and years and decades of ripping people off. But that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And ruin how many lives, how many yeah. lives of people they saved everything in their entire life yeah. uh, is gone. I mean, their whole dream, uh, everything's gone. Sure. You know, and I think it's horrible that you're trying to do something to, I mean, you, you're standing up for animals. They, they can't stand up and say, hey, okay, I oppose this. They, they, you know, they don't know any, they're, they're animals, they don't know any better. You know, and, it, and you have people breeding them for this and that, whether it be, you know, for fur, you know, because, I mean, people criticize even PETA for, for sitting there and having the outrageous protest with, with, with furs, you know, but then maybe they're, they're off the deep end sometimes, but then again, they have a right to say what they need to say. Yeah, no, exactly right. You know what? And, and I, I'm a firm believer, even if I disagree mm -hmm. vehemently against what somebody else's policy or what they're saying is, however, they should have that right to say it. That's what makes our country different than all the others. That's it. We, we no longer can say it. First Amendment right does not exist for anybody in the animal rights or animal protection movement. It does not exist. Mm -hmm. If you want to go into a, um, a puppy mill farm and you want to document what's going on there and your court, that can be construed as a terrorist act. Now, wow. they've not exercised any of this because the truth of the matter is, the only time they'll exercise it is when, it, and really the people who really pushed this and, and got behind this bill to make it happen, are the biomedical research community mm -hmm. and pharmaceutical industry. Uh, the National Association of Biomedical Research, they're the ones that pushed this bill through. Mm -hmm. And they pushed it through the 11th hour when nobody, we didn't know about it until three weeks before it was voted on. Politics, politics, politics. Yep, backdoor. Yeah. They're doing yeah. a whole backdoor uh, way of doing it. But, um, I, you know, it's scary to think that we're going down that road. I mean, for a long time, I, I say a good year and a half, two years, it bothered me to the point where it just, what are we doing? What's yeah. happening to this country? Where are we going? And I think a lot of people ask that question now for a lot of other reasons, you know, the economy and everything else. But where are we going? What are we doing? And, and that brings me to something else, though, Lou. Yeah. What are we doing with the kids in the schools today? Mm -hmm. We're seeing stuff, like even this thing in Chicago with this kid being killed. Mm -hmm. You know, where kids are, kids are so desensitized, they'll kill their classmates, they'll kill their parents, they mm -hmm. go into schools like uh, Columbine, mm -hmm. and they wipe out everybody. We have created a couple of generations of little monsters mm -hmm. that are so desensitized, they don't care what's happening. Mm -hmm. And they're numb. They're totally numb. You you look at these kids. And having been a big brother, I'll say I can speak from a, a place of knowing right. that these where these kids are coming from. Yeah. We spend so much time teaching them sciences in school or not relating to the, the kid as a human being, as a living, feeling person. But we relate to them as just another kid in the, the, the class of 40. Right. You know, we don't look at them. And, and as teachers need to be more aware of what these kids are going through, their personal strife at home, what, what's going on in their lives. We need to, we need to start recognizing that, start working with these kids, mm -hmm. and stop creating generations 
of kids that are so desensitized they don't care if they live or die or anybody else lives or yeah, die. You know, you know, the thing is that, you know, with the education system, it's from the chancellor on down in any county, in any place in this country, okay, where the, yeah, you have to, you know, you know, kind of lower the numbers in the class so that the teachers can connect with all these kids and they can be aware. Because I know a lot of teachers and it's hard for them to do that. You got 40, 50 kids in a class. How are you going to connect with each one? Difficult. That's right. That's right. Difficult. But you know what? You, the thing is, too, you, sometimes you got to deal with what's in, what you have, the mm -hmm. tools you have. And you, you, the one tool you do have, maybe you, you can't take the, take it down from 40 down to 15 or 20. Mm -hmm. But you got to at least try to identify. All of a sudden, your light goes on when you see this one kid and you know they're nodding off in class. You know, mm -hmm. they, most of the time when a kid's nodding off in class because there's problems at home. Mm -hmm. there's, there's one there's one sign. Mm -hmm. You see anger coming from another kid, intense anger. There's another sign. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, we could talk about this for hours, Lou, and oh, just yeah. come up and, you know, you, we're both from the same uh, neighborhood. We, we yeah. both can recognize these things. Sure, sure. And I think teachers need to find certain things and look at it and start to work with these kids. And then work with the kid, with the kid's permission, in front of with the other kids and bring them all into the whole thing. Right. I'll give you an example of something. I should do lectures on different issues, be mm -hmm. circuses, be vivisection, mm -hmm. be it uh, any animal issue, and I did them really well. Right. And one time I was sitting in a school about eight, seven years ago, right. and I'm watching all these kids come in. It was kind of like a real gangbangers and tough kids, and I'm watching them come in, and I and I totally dropped anything I had preconceived in my mind about what I was going to talk about. And I looked at who was the most popular kid. I looked at who thought they were the toughest kid. I thought I, I, I picked out somebody that looked very quiet or introverted. I, I picked five or six kids, and I pulled them up to the front of the class. And I asked three questions. And I tell the class to also think about the answers to these questions. And I asked them, one, what is the most physical pain you've ever gone through? And then I ask them, and they'll all answer it, and they'll tell me, mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes it'll blow your mind to hear the answers. Then I say, what's the most fear? What's the most hopelessness and loneliness? And you, you listen to these answers, you have the kids, and I thank them. And this is, a, and I'm bringing, you know, 30 minutes down into one minute here. Yeah. And I thank them, and I have them sit down. And, and, I'll, and I'll say to them, now, can everybody remember what your answer was to the most physical pain? Now multiply that twice as much pain, five times as much pain, hundred. And now you start to lose them. Right. And then I go thousands of times. And then I say the same thing with the fear, twice as much fear, and and uh, and, and the loneliness and hopelessness. And then I say that's what an animal in a laboratory goes through. That's what an animal in a factory farm goes through every second of its life. That's what an animal in one of these bee dealer camps goes through every second of its life. Mm. And, uh, and, and, it, and that's what an elephant goes through in a circus that's been being beaten with a uh, bullhook. Mm. That's what they go through. And most of these animals, their only relief is their last breath when they die. Because they, can't, they, they, they can't be in pain anymore. That's right. Yeah. That's the last bit of pain they're ever going to witness. And, and, and now these kids really, really connect. Mm -hmm. So this is what teachers need to do. They need to start talking about these kids, what they're going through. Right. What are they feeling? 
They, they have to break that barrier and connect with them in some way. And actually, you know what? I, I think that the teachers, they should have some sort of class teaching them how to, how to do this. Exactly. Yes, Lou. Yeah. You're absolutely right. That's yeah, that's the point. Is they got they got to be able to know what to identify right. and how to do this. Twenty five years ago, I tried to bring to the school board, L.A. Unified School Board here, uh, because that's when it, re it was really bad in the eighties when kids were getting killed in the streets and gangbangers and uh, you know and the gang wars and everything else that was going on. And a, a kid at night was getting killed. And it really tore me up to see that. So I tried to get it put into the schools where, and I remember the woman saying, bigger people, more important people than you have tried and failed. And um, and all I was trying to do is get it where they just have an hour a week of teaching kids to be compassionate about all living beings. Because mm -hmm. if you could be compassionate about a router, a mouse, or a cat dog, you're going to be more compassionate about your fellow beings. Right, and, you know, I just couldn't get them to see it or do it. And that was 20, 25 years ago. I couldn't get them to make a move on it in that direction at all. I've spoken in front of the L.A. Unified School District. I, I had written them. I have called them. And just saying, look, I'm just saying, I'll come and I'll do the class. Just mm -hmm. give me, let me have one hour a week with the class. Let's see how it works. Just for one semester. That's all. You know, you know what that's like? That's like uh, you're standing on a, on a railroad track. You see a train coming, and you're telling them, get off the track, you're going to get hit. Get off the track, you're going to get hit. And they see the train, they're saying, well, you know what, we're going to stand right here. And now, 25 years later, they're getting hit by a train because look at what's happening out there. Yep, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, and, and look, we, uh, there's actually the people who saw this a long time ago with people in child welfare. They see, They saw that when... Whenever there were animals being abused, children were being abused. Then along comes the animal welfare, and they recognized it. And law enforcement, the, the judicial system in this country, never saw it until maybe about 15, 20 years ago. The FBI put it on their list mm -hmm. of one of the three things to recognize for a serial killer. And uh, uh, they always had their three different things. And they dropped one, and they made the top number one animal cruelty as the one thing you could look for in a serial killer. Hmm. And almost every serial killer has started out on animals. And one way or another, they have started and they, and they escalate to human beings. Uh, so these are the things we need to look at. Everything sure. is interrelated. Yeah. The things with kids, how kids are treated, then how do they treat the family pet or the neighbor's pet, and then it goes on from there. Well, parents should be aware of this as well. They should. I mean, they, they should have... They should be taught this as well. If I mean, if you're out there and you, you have a kid, you wanna you wanna know what's going on with your kid. If they're doing these things, you wanna know the signs as well. Exactly right. Yeah, no. yeah. You would think, uh, I, I, but you know what? How many how many places do you know educate parents or teachers, for that matter, on how to recognize these things to be to be uh, in tune with what kids are going through? No, uh, I know. That's right preventative measures yeah. let's let's talk to these kids let's let let them open up to what's going on and uh, right there we could eliminate a lot of abuse of fellow uh, fellow classmates a lot of killings uh, a lot of animal cruelty we could start getting to the core of a problem but we don't seem to want to do that for some reason no presidents want to touch it no uh, um, no uh, uh, Political leaders really want to touch it for some reason, and um, 
It's, it's, it's criminal, and I think one day we're going to have to deal with it because yeah, it's we, getting out of hand. Yeah, well, the bottom line is we have no choice but to deal with it at some point, good or bad or indifferent, because, you know, you have politics involved, nothing gets done. That's right. You get politics about politicians, this, that. You have lobbyists coming. You know, I'm just going to stray off the topic for a second. You look at the big oil companies like Exxon and everything else. You know, you have the uh, the battery, uh, the cars that run on these battery cells and, and stuff right now. This is stuff that they had in the pipeline a decade, maybe even longer than that ago. Oh, decades ago. But, but, they, decades. but they, they put this kibosh on it because now the oil companies aren't going to be making that money. So now they say, okay, well, you can have... You can use gas and the battery. So now that's what you have right now, the hybrids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they can have a car that's, that, that runs on, on, these, on these battery cells if they want to do it. That's right. We're using no fossil fuel. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and they're, they're slowly seeping it in there simply because they don't want to hurt the uh, oil industry. Sure. It's sure. all about money. I think even uh, you know, General America sees it now. It's all about money. You remember, you remember, Lou, I don't, I don't know how old you are. Remember in the 70s, 74, 75, mm -hmm. they had the big gas crises, you know, not enough gas. Yeah. With lines blocks long, mm -hmm. and you had the odd and even numbers uh, in order to get gas. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened? All, all of a sudden, the world produced more gas? Mm -hmm. No, because they controlled it. They controlled it so that they could jack the prices up, and of we've course. gone through this several times since then. Supply and demand, and that's what it is. That's it comes right. down to money. Because, you know, look, at the end of the day, the United States, we're a capitalist nation, you know, and again, I, I love the United States, but, you know, there has to be lines drawn. There have to be, you know, between animal cruelty. You have your kids, you know, that's the future. The kids of the future. If you don't, if you don't, you don't mold them now. What's going to happen to our future? Yeah, they are the future, and boy, we're sure not leaving them much of one. No, and, it, and it's scary because now you have a lot of stuff going on, and now these kids are growing up, as you said. You know, they have they they they're indifferent to the pain, suffering. They're indifferent to putting a bullet in your head. Yeah, yeah. They walk away, and they go home, and they eat dinner, and that's it. They don't care. I mean, I looked at that kid in Mississippi and the one in Pennsylvania uh, and those two in uh, Columbine. I looked at their faces, you know, and I, and I watched it over and over and over again on the news. Mm -hmm. and they were just shut down. It meant nothing to them, mm -hmm. uh, the ones that were alive, uh, the, especially the one in Mississippi, the mm -hmm. heavyset kid. And I can only imagine how many times that kid was bullied in school, yep. how many times he was picked on, and he just flipped. Now, teachers never observe that they didn't see that i mean please you got to know how horrible it is for a kid to go to school and the fear he's got to go through and the reluctance to want to even go to school mm -hmm. because he's going to be picked on he's going to be abused well i saw this when i was in school and i got i got to tell you if there was anything i despised it was that and i always fought yeah. any of the bullies that were picking on these kids and uh, they, for a while, they just thought to call me Robin Hood because <laughs> I would, you know, help the uh, the weak, and, and, and I just I couldn't see it. I mean, I don't. And think you're, you're still doing it, and you're still doing it. So that's yeah, a, that's, yeah. That's, 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 that's a good thing. True, that, that's definitely a good thing because now you're helping. I mean, you're doing a big brother thing, but you're you're helping those kids. Uh, you're helping, you know, save as many you know animals as you can, and you're you're exposing these. I don't, I don't even I don't even have a word for the people that put the animals through that. I don't have a word for them. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I can't even pull a word out of my head to, to even describe them. And, and any word that I'm, I am going to pull out of my head, I can't say on the show. <laughs> yeah. 
person, you know. So, but yeah, you know, you, you're doing some great stuff, and I th I think everything you said it, it it does make a lot of sense. But you know, just imagine if if the government or or the you know, the chancellor of the schools or or, or any anyone out there would that has the powers that be that would go and say, okay, you know what, that makes sense. Maybe we should watch after the kids a little more. Maybe we should not so much allow these puppy mills and all this stuff to happen and the abuse of the, these animals to happen. Okay, they have the power to do that. Oh, they sure do. They sure do. And you know, think about this. Mm -hmm. It's a lot cheaper to educate a kid and, and understand them and work with them than it is to have to build prisons and that $50,000, $55,000 a year to harbor each prisoner uh, for crimes, you know, that they committed. Mm -hmm. What is, it's a lot cheaper to have some kind of, something in the school that's mm -hmm. going to help countless kids sure. and just re, re, refigure, reconfigure their brains and, uh, and their feelings to be a more compassionate and sensitive. But you see, our government doesn't really want compassion no. and, and, and someone that's, uh, has a brain that's a free thinker. I always say to kids in the school, uh, any of you who, are compassionate toward any other living beings, and you're a free thinker. You're the most powerful single entity there is. Mm -hmm. The government can, cannot control you. Corporations cannot control you, because and you will stand up for what is right because mm -hmm. one, you're compassionate, and two, you have a brain that thinks for itself. Well, you know something. If you look throughout American history, you look at the most compassionate and uh, compassionate thinkers that we had. What happened to them? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, you can go from Martin Luther King on down. You can go to Abraham Lincoln on that. I mean, yep. what happens? What's the end result? Yep. You know, yep. people are afraid of you because there is something to be fearful of because there's nothing that's going to stop you from achieving your goals. Yeah, and an older man named William Ricketts in Australia mm -hmm. uh, when I was down there, uh, and and. and we, we we really bonded, and he was at that time he was in his eighties. He died at ninety six. But he may he said to me something. He says, "If you are fighting uh, the evils that are trying to destroy this world, they will try to destroy you. Yep. You know, and they will do everything in their power to get rid of you." And you know he's right, and it's it's true. If you're trying to make some serious changes, mm -hmm. uh, there are people out there that are going to try to do away with you. No, I don't worry about it. You know, I would. The only thing I worry about, I, I don't worry about dying. We're all going to die. It's, mm -hmm. it's not a matter. We do so much to really hang on to living to the point that we're willing to let animals be tortured. We're willing to see other people suffer. In my in, in my view, you know, if I can't. If I have to live with my conscience telling me I didn't do everything I could that day to make some kind of a change, mm -hmm. either for kids or animals or people in general, um, then I know I haven't done what I'm supposed to do while I'm here. Can you imagine if we all would think like that too? It'd be a lot better world to live in. No, no, without a doubt. Yeah, but again, you know what what happens is that people people are afraid of a lot of things, and I think that's something that's kind of like instilled in you. When you're born and you're being raised and you see the society the way it is, you know, some people, you know, a lot of people are afraid of success. A lot of people are afraid to take a stand. A lot of people are afraid to do this and do that. But the ones that kind of like stray away from that and say, you know, you know what, I, mean, I am going to be different. I am going to do something. I am I am going to make a difference in this and in this world in some way or another. You know, th those are the ones that are actually making things happen like yourself. 
but then but you, you but then also you become the most criticized and that that's what makes it interesting to me that I see this like okay you know but then you'll 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 get you'll face so much opposition in trying to reach your goals that it's amazing yeah you know as a kid um, I was very fortunate I wound up in an orphanage for three years mm-hmm. I say fortunate my misfortune then is my fortune now mm-hmm. and because I learned what it is like for for a kid to be torn away from his mother mm-hmm. and put in an institution. And um, it wasn't easy, you know, especially when you're, you know, four and a half years old. And right. I have a sister that was three. Right. And we, here we are, we're being torn away from our mother who was ill because she had cancer and stuff. And we're put in an orphanage. So uh, I've learned to, um, be, to empathize with what's going on with kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because of that. And then that, when I turned 11 years old, I'm coming home from school one time, and you know, they had protection money, and they had to, you had to pay 10 cents a week. And I remember these two guys, uh, I won't mention their names, I, I do mention them in my book, but <laughs> I, I remember these two guys, Butchie and Bobby uh, Magazine. And I remember them, you know, asking for protection money in the schoolyard. And I basically, and I had a wise mouth, even though I, I weighed about 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. I just had a real wise mouth. And I, I told them basically what to do. Right. And on the way home, they waited for me. And uh, right in front of the old blind guy, Sal, the newspaper guy, who sold mm-hmm. the newspapers there, uh, they beat me up. Mm-hmm. And I remember them kept kicking me in the groin, kept kicking me in the groin, kept kicking me in the groin. And I remember laying it, my face in the gutter in the dirty water. And uh, looking at these old stogie cigars laying in the water, putting my hand up toward the people like to help me. You know, people were watching. They just thought that ah, kids having a fight, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was a tough neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember nobody helped me, mm-hmm. and I just remember I had to crawl all the way home because I couldn't walk. I was in so much pain. And uh, from that day on, I learned I will. I learned how to take care of myself, mm-hmm. fight. I, from 11 years old on, I learned how to fight. And I swore I would never happen to me again, nor anybody else I ever saw going through this. Even if it meant I would die, mm-hmm. at least there'd be a moment in their life when they knew somebody was trying to help them. Mm-hmm. And that was a promise I made and a promise I kept. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's just terrible that you, you know, someone's got to go through that mm-hmm. to really make a change. But that's what changed me. That's what made, made me move. And mm-hmm. but everybody could do something. You don't have to do it go to the extremes that I go, no. but you can do something to help. Sure, sure, you know, and again, I think sometimes in life you have to go through the rough stuff to really appreciate what's around you. Yeah. You know, and what you went through, that, that was a, a life-altering moment because it made you who you are today. Yeah, I, well, yeah, and then, you know, you, everybody's got certain things in their life that makes sure. what they are, but I, uh, and again, it works in the opposite way. If we, if a kid is going through this stuff in school, and we're doing nothing about helping them, we, we their, their lives are becoming formed to be very angry and to do something about it, and to and to create some kind of problem, you know, problems by either killing somebody or, uh, or worse, killing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think that. Um Again, I, I think that it's just, it's just interesting how things develop uh, in people's lives, and how many people out there that are, are looking—they're they're looking for something. They're looking, even these kids—they're lo- they're looking for something, but it's not there for them. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. Yeah, it's like, right, right on the money, Lou. Yeah, they, they are looking for something, and we're not seeing it. We're not giving it to them. We're not right. listening. 
Right. Well, like you said, you know, when when you went through that as a kid, you know, you reaching out. That's them reaching out, but there's nobody there. People are just walking by, and that's what's happening because no, yeah. no, nobody cares. I mean, maybe they care, but they don't know what to look for. Okay, so it's not as easy as you know, some a kid coming up to you saying, "Okay, I have a problem." You know, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm 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 doing drugs, I need help, or was I have a problem at home? They're not going to come out and tell you. So yeah, I I think that there has to be something done with that in the educational system they can help parents as well that's a, that that would be fantastic you know with the with the uh, with the with the animals you know i mean I, I it's like it's just i'm just floored when you told me about the legislation that was passed to to make um you know, animal rights activists uh you know they do something like that terrorists i mean that's that's disgusting to me yeah uh, you know, it, it scares me to think yeah. that this country's going down that path and going down it fast. And you know what? You get people like you get people in the NRA and you get other organizations that supported mm -hmm. that bill going through. Wait a minute. My rights are impinged upon right now. Your rights will be impinged upon tomorrow, mm -hmm. guaranteed. Oh. It's just a matter of uh, time before one person's rights or another. You know, an old, I forget how that saying goes where in Germany, you know, they, they came and uh, started taking the communists away. And they said, well, I'm not a communist. I'm not, I don't have to worry. And then they came and they took the Jews. Well, I'm not Jewish. I don't have to worry. And they came and they took these people and then that people. Uh, and then they, I, I'm not this. I'm not that. And then all of a sudden they came to me and there was nobody else right. to turn around and ask for help. Hmm. So that's why when something like this happens, we need to you know, really start the band together. You may not like animal rights issues, whatever, you know, but don't take the rights of somebody else away. Right. That's what this country was built on. That's what a lot of people have died for and fought sure. for. Sure. This is, a, like you said, Lou, it is a great country. Sure. It is a great country, but we need to stand up to these big uh, um, corporate people that are um, um, going to profit off of our suffering. Uh, look, some, people. some of the greatest people... Uh, in, in the history books in this country were those that stood up to fight against the masses. They stood up to fight for what's right. That's okay, right. Okay, you know, and I, and I, and I touch on Martin Luther King because that's the most in recent history, but no, even, even with Kennedy, even with certain people, but, you know, people are afraid. They're afraid of someone standing up for, for you know, for what's right. And, yeah, and and I just personally, you know, I just don't get it. If something's right, it's right. You're standing up for it. You're gonna go and fight for what's right out there and uh, try to make a difference, even in a small way, even in a small way, even even you know, again, as you said, even if they they don't want to be animal activists and going out there and and hang out with PETA and start going with the uh, the protest uh, banners and everything, but there's something they can actually do. So so why, why don't you tell us what they can do? Well, there's a lot of things. Um, First of all, if you're talking about suffering, let's talk about suffering of animals first. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about kids. Mm -hmm. uh, because both of them, to me, are, are the same. Right. Uh, with animals, don't ever buy from a pet store. Never buy from a pet Go to your local shelter. Go to your rescue organization. Rescue an animal. Then you're really saving a life. If you think you're saving a uh, by going to a uh, pet store and you say, oh, I want to get that dog. If it's been in there for two months, I feel bad for it. And you buy that dog. You just contributed to the problem. It's like trying to put a fire out by throwing gasoline on it. You're mm -hmm. not going to smother that fire with gasoline. You're just going to make it worse. Right. Uh, and if you feel bad about animals locked in cages that are suffering horribly, uh, like uh, uh, like cows or uh, pigs or chickens, don't eat them. 
I, I tell people, don't eat them. You know, if you really, when people say, oh, I love animals, I say, well, then you, then you, then you're a vegetarian, mm-hmm. because it does. It extends even to that level of, you know what? I don't want to see suffering. Mm-hmm. Suffering is suffering, and these animals are suffering for my palate. Uh, Lou, it's it's 30 years now, mm-hmm. uh, almost 31 years since I've had I have ever eaten meat, or um, uh, well, it's less years, about 28 years for dairy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I and, and I box. Mm-hmm. I do martial arts. I, I still stay in shape. I'm 61 years old, and uh, you know I, I I'm not I'm not deficient in uh, any kind of protein or anything. Right. So but and are, even even, even in that case, that, there's other things you can eat. You can have tofu and stuff like that. There are other natural ways to go. There's, there's a million things you can eat, and, sure. and you know we don't need all the protein that it was cracked up to be. I mean it's it's it's, it's really I call it the protein myth. Mm-hmm. You don't need all that protein. You just don't need it. We have uh, Olympic class athletes that are vegan. The one Russian guy uh, who was uh, one of the strongest men in the world, uh, weightlifter, uh, he was a vegan Mm -hmm. and still is. Um, I mean, you don't need all these, uh, um, uh, but it's it's, it's perpetrated by the food industry. The food industry is a big industry in this country. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Put your TV on, you see all the ads. Sure. And look what we're doing to the kids today Mm -hmm. in this country. They're all beast. Oh yeah. The kids are not fat anymore. They're all beast, and, and, and we allow this to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Money, you know? money. It comes down to money because the more you sell, doesn't matter who it's to, who it's to. If you're selling a soda or hamburgers or whatever it is, fast food, this that, cereal with all the sugar and all that jazz, you know, it comes down to dollars and cents and what what goes on the profit line, and that's it. Sure. And who who benefits by it? Like you say, the food industry. But who sure. else benefits by it? The biomedical research community. Because where do those people wind up? Yep. They got heart attacks, they got diabetes, they got uh, cancer yep. because of bad diets. Where they, Who benefits? But the biomedical research community. Again, they benefit by it. So, of course, they're not going to you know, say anything you know, and, and try to uh, re-educate these children yep. not to eat this crap and have their, their parents taking them to McDonald's and eating that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, we got a real, we got a big, big problem, but it's, you know what? It's a good way to control the masses. Yeah, but that, that, that's that's what they do, you know. But again, with stuff like that, it, it has to start at the home. It has to. It has to. Yeah. It, it has to. It's up to, the, it's up to the parents to really go ahead and, and make a uh, difference. It's up to the parents to, uh, uh, to start trying to make a change. Yeah. If they have to do that. If they don't do that, then the kids are going to be lost. So, you know, if it's, they're not getting into school and then, you know, the, the reality is you don't do it at home, they're going to attach to something or adhere to something else out there in the street, and that's even a worse situation, no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, indifference mm-hmm. is worse than just having a motive like the, the, the money industry. Yeah. But for, for us out there who are indifferent to this happening, mm-hmm. Where that is that really is the essence of inhumanity, being yeah. indifferent to any of these things. I don't care if it's animal, children, people, issues, whatever. If we're indifferent, we're responsible for it. Yeah, I mean, when people are indifferent about you know serious things like animal cruelty and stuff like that, I just shake my head. It's like, I mean, doesn't that affect you emotionally? Doesn't it do anything for you? And they, you know, some people shrug their shoulders and say, no, it doesn't bother me. So, oh, oh, wow. You know, where's your heart? <laughs> you know? Yeah. There has yeah. to be something more there, you know. But then again, maybe that's the way I was raised, 
you know, uh, to care about the, the, the people and the uh, things around me. So maybe that's what it is. But hopefully, you know, uh, people, you know, will start, uh, the parents will start uh, doing that for their kids and give their kids a fair shot of, uh, of, of actually actually growing into great adults because if they don't have the guidance you know how are they gonna how are they gonna know they can't teach themselves that's right yeah that's so, right Lou yeah so Chris can, can now um, I know we uh, had you on the phone for a little bit and I do appreciate your time I know you have a lot of things to do but now can you uh, let our listeners know you know how they can find out more about last chance for animals or, or the big brother thing as well yeah yeah I mean um uh, yeah, as far as the Big Brother, and again, I've been an unofficial Big Brother. I just, for me, it was too much time, too time-consuming to go through all the uh, the Big Brother red tape. But okay. I, I do think it's a very good organization. And for me, I just did it anytime I came across a kid that needed help, and I, and I, I could see it. Mm -hmm. Some of these kids I, I got from doing the lectures. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, some of them I got from uh, when way back when when I was a cop, and I got thrown off the police mm -hmm. department. And Jersey, I, 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 you know, a bunch of these kids. I, that's when I started when I was 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, for that, as far as being a big brother, that's just that's looking something. out for the kids that need uh, somebody to talk to. They yeah. want somebody to listen to them, you know, and then maybe, maybe extend some advice without being preachy to them. Yeah. Uh, and so, if anybody wants to get hold of us at Last Chance for Animals, where our website first is www.lcanimal.org, lcanimal.org, and um, if you uh, uh, want to email me, you can email me at drose, my last name, D-E-R-O-S-E, -E, at lcanimal.org, and um, we have an 800 number, which is 888-88-ANIMAL, that's five eights, and then animal, uh, so uh, you can always call us, and uh, we'll be glad to help you with it, whatever issues or problems that we can be of any help to. Well, that, that, that's excellent, Chris. You know, and I, and I think what you're doing is, I mean, I, I can't even, again, you know, what you're doing is fantastic. I think you, you're making a difference. And I know you're making a difference because I'm on the phone with you. <laughs> right, right. Okay, you know, so, you know, you're, you're making a difference in, in not only – in, in the lives of the people around you, but you're making a difference for people in general, and and and, and animals in general. I mean, this is the stuff that you're doing, and you're you're, you're hopefully it'll start spreading because, like you know, like cancer is a bad thing and it spreads. Hopefully, yeah. this will be a good thing and have that effect in a positive way. Well, yeah, and it's people like you, Lou, and Jane Velez Mitchell, uh, who are out there, and you have that means of. Uh, getting the word out there yeah. on a regular basis uh, that are able to do it, you know, and it doesn't have to always be just animal issues or yeah. just people or children issues. There are, there are many other good issues that need to be dealt with. Sure. And, um, and I appreciate, you know, somebody like you who is really out there putting it on the line and, and getting the word out there to countless uh, thousands, millions of people. And, uh, that, that's where it needs to be. It needs to get out there more. It needs to, and we need to keep saying it. We can yeah. gotta keep telling people this, because you know this too. In commercials, for example, you got that person's got to see a commercial on the average of nine times before they realize that product exists. Yeah. So we've got to keep getting that word out there. You know, whatever that word is. You know, and my big word today is just being compassionate, mm -hmm. compassionate to all living beings. Mm -hmm. And it's not. I don't want to. It's not to me. 
don't want to sound hokey. Uh, mm. I'm not a hokey kind of person. But you're being but, real. You're being real, yeah, Chris. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because if you're, if you're compassionate, again, toward a, a, a little animal, mm-hmm. you're going to be more compassionate to your fellow beings and your classmates. And like I say, I feel just as strong about one issue as I do the other issue, animals and, and humans, you know, children. I'm uh, very passionate about that. So, yeah, that's, I, I, that's good stuff. and people have it in them. I, and yeah. I do believe most people have it in them. They just got to get outside of themselves a little bit, you know. Well, sometimes they have to see something for themselves. Say, "Holy cow!" You know, yeah. maybe they need that reality check, and some people to do experience need, it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, some exactly, people do exactly. need that, you know. But look, Chris, you know, you have a friend in the UCW radio show, so you know, whatever we can do to help you, you know, just let me know, and uh, we'll get, we'll talk about it on the show again. Have you on again, and and talk about talk about this thing. I mean, you and I can stay on the phone for hours about this, but we just don't have hours. You have stuff to do, and we we have we have a limited time on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lou, thank you very much for what you're doing. I really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be talking again. Oh, most definitely, Chris. And I, and I appreciate your time, my friend. And you know, keep keep uh, you know going strong with you, what you're doing. You're doing something great. And I want our listeners to go to to Last Chance for Animals. You know, again, you don't have to be an animal activist. Just care. Just have a heart yeah. and care. And that that's all I have to say. Care about your kids. Care about the animals. And do something, anything, any little thing can help. Because you have a million people. Doing a little something, that adds up to a big something. That's right. That's right. All right, Chris, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, my mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you.